beginning at verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12, 2 Timothy. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Verse 12 said committed unto him Verse 14, committed unto us. There is a reciprocal flow from heaven. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Savior, we love you and thank you today for your word. And I ask you to help us by your spirit. Thanking you for your blood, your washing, cleansing, and all that you continue to do for your children. Keep us, I pray, in the name of the Lord. And somebody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't have time to go into all, of course, any, any lesson you get into the Bible, you don't have time to do anything. The Bible is so rich and so complete, but to go back into the history of Paul and tell the whole story, uh, you can read it, but that's kind of where he picks up here and said, for which cause I also suffer these things. He was shipwrecked, he was accused, he was, all kinds of things happened to him. And, uh, but he, he said, I, I was able to survive because I knew who I have believed in. And then he said, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And so the inference is that if you will commit things to him while the things are going good, he will sustain you while things are going bad. Saints of God are just the same as anybody in the world in a lot of ways because we have the same struggles. We have financial struggles. We have, we have health issues. We have all the things that go through life. The beautiful thing about it, we have God to help us carry it through. So the Apostle Paul said, all these things that I've suffered really doesn't mean much. In one place he said, I counted it all as dung or as loss. I counted it as nothing to have won the admiration of God Almighty. So he said, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. <clears throat> Meaning really, if you're gonna go through some things and you will face some things in life, that you have to store up some things, put some things away. And uh, when Jesus even taught that you are not to store up necessarily things on earth where rust and moth doth corrupt, but to put your treasures in heaven. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't save or take care of earthly things. He's just saying, if you put all your trust in that, moth and rust is gonna corrupt all of that. But what you put away in God is what's gonna help you in the day of adversity, and adversity does come. Another scripture says that when you, if you faint in the day of adversity, your faith is small. So what you need to do is let this recipe uh, type of thing with God that just I'm going to store some things up that I can get it back you don't do something just to get something back 
but I'm doing this because I know what I've committed to you, you also commit to us. And then he went on to say, hold fast the sound words, listen to good preaching, hold fast to what is preached to you. And he said, that which you've heard of me, and we could place a different word in what you hear today from preachers in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And then he said, that good thing was committed unto you or thee, keep in the Holy Ghost. And so my lesson today is the power of persuasion. The reprosity, I tried my best not to make that mistake, and I did. To be a recipient of God's blessings, you have to realize it is a circular thing. God expects something from you, and in God expecting something from you, he also gives back to you. And I can say today, if you will commit to God, God commits to you. It's a, re it's a reciprocating process that continues. And I want you to remember that as we go through a few scriptures. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14 said, I, And I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. <clears throat> Part of the process of being a child of God is to have this, this reciprocating process with one another. I'm going to love and appreciate one another, help one another, strengthen one another as they also strengthen me. Have you ever been helped by coming to the house of God? Have you ever received anything by coming to the house of God? Have you ever been a contributor to the things that happen in the house of God? If I didn't mean that to condemn you. I don't want you to take a tuckhead. When you come to the house of God and you lift your hands to worship God, it's a process that affects everybody in the house of God. We don't come to an apostolic church to sit on the pew and be fed like little birds uh, that just chirp. We come to the house of God to give God what he wants out of the human race. I can tell you God was lonely. He was. And that's why he understood that man should not be alone and he created a woman for him. And they married and there's great, great history in that. God wanted something from the human race. He created trees, earth, stars, and all of that. And that was not sufficient for him. He wanted something more than that. And I just came to tell you today, I want to give God what he needs and wants from me. He was lonely and created man. A tree, yes, the arms of a tree will rise towards the sun. And it seems as though they're worshiping a creator. But it's nothing like the arms of a human being that lifts themselves to God and says, I love you and I came to worship you. God wants that. Now you're afraid, I guess, that I'm going to get you out of your pew and get, get you to run in the aisles. And so you're just a little afraid of what I'm saying. But Paul rushed into the house, not Paul, but uh, David rest, rushed into the house of God one day and said, let the lifting of my hands be the evening sacrifice. I'm not going to go through the rituals of killing an animal, shedding the blood, putting it on the altar. I want you to accept the lifting of my hands. 
When you lift your hands to God and you surrender to him, it is a process that he loves. He loves it. So Paul is trying to help you understand that in this scripture, going farther in the book of Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, he said, but why dost thou judge thy brother or why cast thou or <clears throat> set it not at thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then verse 14, skipping down to verse 13, let us therefore judge, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. He's talking about eating of meats and special days and what have you. And he goes quite into detail about those that would take special days and, and raise it as a doctrine against others that would not have those special days and those that would eat meat and not eat meat. And so he's trying to help you understand that if you stand in your brother's way by in front of him mocking his belief by doing something that he doesn't agree with, you can offend him. So he says, in essence, uh, when you're out at the restaurant and you're having a big steak and the man that's with you doesn't believe in eating steak, he says, don't gloat yourself and have a big steak with him. Go home and have your steak at home. That's basically what he's saying. So that you don't offend somebody in what they have made a commitment to God for. Because there are variations of commitments in this church. You may believe something that you cannot do or won't, do not want to do, because of your commitment to God. And if I come along and try to violate that commitment and make a mockery of your commitment, then I'm not right. Now this all goes with what I'm talking about, the reciprocating love of God and the persuasion that God has given to us. So follow me very carefully today as I try to help you understand what Paul's trying to help us understand in this. You're not to offend one another. Therefore, when you come to the house of God and there's pointing fingers back and forth, they offended me. Wait a minute. If you don't offend or if you do offend, fix it fast and let's worship God together. Let's not be stumbling blocks to one another in the kingdom of God. Let's be what God wants us to be. And then he went on in verse 14 and said, I know and am persuaded by Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So there's nothing unclean, whether you're eating pork or, or you're eating something that somebody may not believe in, and, and that's their commitment to God, that's all right. If they have that commitment to God themselves, it's not something that the whole congregation has to do. So you don't sit down and gloat yourself in front of them, make fun of them. Let them have their commitment to God so they have let you have your commitment to God. And when you let somebody have their commitment to God, you can have your commitment to God and understand that to the pure, all things are pure and not to be able to esteem one thing above another that's clean or unclean among us. And that's what he was trying to help the Jews understand that we're introducing you to a whole new philosophy of life and a whole new plan of salvation and a whole new doctrine of truth in the New Testament. We're doing away with or fulfilling the things of the Old Testament that were there for a reason. The eating processes, the dietary processes, uh, the sacrificial processes, and all of that that was there for the purpose of leading them to Christ. It was a schoolmaster that led us or led them to Christ and in, in turn has led us to Christ. So all of those things are good in their place. But to understand the shedding of blood was to bring you to Calvary. 
So all of those things in the Old Testament was for an example in our learning, but we're not to stand in the way of somebody else. Now, there is a limit. I don't believe that you ought to start sacrificing animals. In fact, the laws of the land will get you for that. You kill your dog and put it on an altar, they'll come and get you. Although some dogs need to go to dog heaven, especially if they've been biting somebody. You know, there, there's people that don't care about their dogs, and they let them out of the house, and they bite people, and the government will come and take care of that dog. They'll put it away. If you bite too many people, they'll put you away. Put that dog away, not you, the dog. I was walking the other day, and uh, I was walking on the bike path, and sometimes I walk early in the morning, and and man was coming at me, and I, I thought the dog was loose. And the closer I got, the looser I knew he was. <laughs> Finally, he reached down and put it on his leash, and I, I said, thank you, because it was one of those kinds of dogs that insurance won't let me have in my mobile home park, and, and uh, some people shouldn't have. But anyway, he, he did get a hold of it. And uh, so as far as sacrament now, you know, that's the kind of dog that you do want to sacrifice. I might just give you a little hint. They tell me that, that wasp spray, if you're going to walk, you need to get a little thing of wasp spray. And if an ugly dog comes its way showing its teeth, just fill his mouth with wasp spray. That's better than, that's better than mouthwash. <laughs> and he'll leave you alone. <laughs> it doesn't hurt him, doesn't kill him, but it will turn him away from you. So I'm saying all this to say this. We're not in the day of sacrificing things. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't use the shed blood of animals because we have something better today. It's called the blood of Jesus as a lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Hallelujah. So he went on to teach this and try to help people understand the process of moving from a, a doctrine and a religion and a thinking of Old Testament scriptures uh, that was fulfilled at Calvary for all of us and the dietary laws and all of that and I, I let me just say this before I go too much farther sometimes certain foods are not the best for you to eat and so if somebody makes that decision I'm not going to eat pork or I'm not going to eat this and that's all well and good but it's not a doctrinal thing of the New Testament he said, whatsoever is clean is clean unto God. And so he made sure that he cleared that all up, that those are the things that not, doesn't make you a Christian or a better Christian. If you decide you're not going to eat pork, that's all right. Don't eat pork to yourself. If you decide you're not going to eat spinach, don't eat spinach to yourself. Unless you think you want to be Popeye. All of those Old Testament examples was fulfilled in Christ to teach us that there's some things today that we don't listen to. You see, the eating of things was to teach us today that there's some things we don't listen to. We don't hear the things that the world is putting out because it's contrary to faith. One scripture Brother Terry used to always use, our elder, he said, my my ears try words like my mouth tries meat. It's an Old Testament proverb in one translation. And it's so, so true that you learn to decipher and understand things based on the word of God. 
There are many, many preachers in the world today that are not preaching altogether the word of God like they ought to be preaching the word of God. The Old Testament taught us about that, and Jesus warned us about false teachers. And so all of those dietary laws and all of that was to help us understand today that we must listen carefully and take heed to what we hear and learn how to decipher what is right and what is wrong. And so all of the eating of uh, this is, uh, or not eating of this, is, is all a part of learning how to digest what you hear. 15th verse said, But if my brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. In other words, don't sit down to dinner and eat your meat in front of him if it's going to offend him. Let not your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's where it all comes together right there. It's not what you eat, it's what you do in your life for God and understand that the righteousness of God, the peace of God, and the joy of God is where it's all out. I'm so glad to tell you today there's something great about living for God. There's a peace in living for God. There's a comfort in living for God. You don't have to go shed an animal's blood somewhere. You can come to the house of God, lift your hands, and begin to worship God. And he forgives and washes and cleans in the midst of the congregation. That's why you can rejoice in the house of God. God saved you out of a world of confusion and let you be at peace in the house of God. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man that eateth with offense or does things. You can use any word you want to put in there. If I'm going to offend you in any way, it's wrong. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything that whereby your brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Happy is the man that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatever you do, do it in Faith is what he's saying. Your choices are what define you based on the word of God. Today's world, they call it a drug of choice. And so they evolve themselves in certain drug cultures and areas. And it seems like they all lead to some form of addiction. It's really interesting that in today's world, vaping has become popular rather than smoking cigarettes in some circles. And now they're finding that that's causing a lot of deaths and trouble in life. So the things that you try to do naturally don't always turn out to be the best for you. What you really need to do is become complete in Jesus Christ and obey his word and live with everything that you have for him through his word. The drink of choice. All of this, these are terms that they use today. Your pleasure of choice, your recreation of choice, your church of choice. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Church of choice? You mean you're going to shop around like you do for clothes to say, well, this church allows this, I'm going to be there. This church don't allow that, I'm going to be there. Uh, you, you don't start choosing church based on your carnal needs. You find a church that obeys the book of Acts. You find a church that obeys the word of God. It's not just a church of choice. 
It's a church of revelation. It's a church that you understand the word of God is met and preached and lived in front of all the world that the world may know that there's a church in the world today that's like the apostolic church in the book of Acts. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're in Acts 2.38 church? So your choices, what you choose to do in life, what you choose to do for a living, what you choose to do in managing your money, all of these choices is what defines you. Your media choices is going to influence what you think. you got to be careful how you feed yourself the things of the world. Choosing your friends and the clothes you wear, the food you eat, the things you think about. God's culture. My, a whole lesson in culture. We all have our culture. They say Germans are stubborn. They've tried to tell me that for years because I'm a German. I still don't believe it. That's how stubborn I am. Everybody has their culture. And it's all right to have your culture. Your culture may be tacos. I love them. I move into that culture as often as I can. Your tacos may be your tacos. Your culture. Man, I'm hungry. Your culture may be maybe Italian food. You move into that culture. But all of the culture that you were raised by, and hear me very well, your culture and your personal family, you raise your children in a particular way at home. It's not, it's not always scripture that you raise your children by. You may mow your lawns. They didn't have lawns in the olden days and what have you. So there's different things that you do. It's interesting that, that my, my father, he, he was a great man. We loved him, but he, he didn't move very fast with things. And so the lawn mowing job fell upon my brother and I. And when I was so young, uh, I couldn't push the mower, so my job was to pull the mower. My brother pushed the hand mower, and I pulled the hand mower, and we mowed the grass. After my brother and I went to work, he bought a power mower. See, things change like that. That's not necessarily scriptural, other than obeying your parents. <laughs> I'm saying that to say this. Your family culture is important but it should never cross God's culture. This is a reciprocating thing that we are being persuaded of. And so the church is trying to help you move from a worldly culture into a God culture. It's a different lifestyle. It's a different plan. It's a different idea. But it's scriptural. And so you move from a worldly culture into a godly culture. So Families, and, and I'm going to say this as clear as I can say it. When you're raising your children, you teach them to stay in the culture you've trained them. When you start mixing the cultures of families, that's when you get married. And Well, my mama cooked it different than that. Boy, some of you are laughing. I don't know. What, I couldn't see whether it was the mother or the dad that was laughing on that one, but... I've tried to settle squabbles. Well, I'm not going to cook for him anymore because he said his mom cooked better biscuits than I can cook. Well, you better find somebody that can cook like your mama cooks or you will have some troubles once in a while. 
whole culture and life that causes marital problems later if you don't find the same culture or adapt to it. So here's my lesson today. When you come to God out of a world of confusion, there's a whole world of culture out there. And some of it's not all bad. But some of it is not good and doesn't belong in the church. That's why we're born again. And when you're born again, your idea of culture changes from that which is wrong in the world to what's right in living for God. It's a God culture. It's a God culture. So I read this about culture. And there is what they call cancel culture today. We're seeing it in the political realm. We're seeing it in, in a lot of areas today. It's one of those complicated trends of the Internet in recent years. And this article went on to say some argue that it's too harsh, and others argue that it just doesn't have any real consequences. Certainly it has ruined people's reputations and chances at business opportunities. And in some cases, rightly so, but it has also created a mob-like mentality thereby any minuscule mistake makes it open season for intense backlash. That's the cancel culture. There's two variants to the term. The term call-out culture is a form of public shaming which occurs on social media, usually Twitter, Boy, nobody even caught that. But anyway, who's the Twitter bugs? That aims to hold people accountable by calling attention to behavior that is deemed problematic. Haven't you ever heard of anybody on Twitter? And the backlash and the confusion? I'm not going to go there, but you just have to go there yourself. That person is then canceled. He tweeted something, he's cut off. Canceled. Which essentially means they're boycotted by a large number of people, sometimes leading to massive de declines in the person's fan base and career. Usually when somebody says or does something that someone doesn't like, they call them out or cancel them. It's called cancel culture priorities and pursuits, their past and their future. The only way to survive in a cancel culture environment, when somebody wants to cancel you out, that cancel culture is to be persuaded and fully and totally persuaded in your mind that you are right. Now I'm saying all of that to say this. We are approaching and in the midst of a generation that is turning against Christianity. You better be persuaded in your mind who you are. You see, uh, this, you, if you get offended at this, just get offended and come to me and I'll apologize for something else. We're living in a day where if you wear a red hat, some consequences come with that. 
I'm not endorsing it or not. I'm just telling you it's a cancel culture environment we live in. So if you carry your Bible, there's consequences. I wonder if we're going to run and hide because of the cancel culture of our day. Or are you fully persuaded? What Paul was talking about, eating meat and whatever, he said you need to be fully persuaded in your mind. You need to know what you believe and stand for it today. We are living in a cancel culture environment. If they don't like what you're doing, they'll talk behind your back at your job. Do you believe in Jesus Christ enough? Though you may never have to say another word to that person or not, you're not going to do the same thing back to them. You're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. I'm telling you, our world is hungry for somebody that will love them. Our world is looking for somebody that will, will, will not cancel them out, but will say, listen, I know where you can go to church where people will accept you and love you and pray you through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We have a culture inside this church uh, that we all love this great worship time we have in the house of God, and we came to worship Jesus with all of our heart. Oh, hallelujah. So the world has this culture of canceling people out. Job said in 13th chapter in the 13th verse, hold your peace, let me alone. He was being attacked. They're trying to write him off, kind of a cancel culture type thing. You're no good. He said, hold your peace, let me alone, that I may speak and let me, and let come on me that what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my own hand? And then he said something that I want to preach to you for a few moments today. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain mine own way before him. No matter what the counterculture, cancel culture, or ungodly culture of our world, let me put my flesh in my own mouth and let me maintain my own way. And let me declare, if you even slay me, God, I'm still going to trust you. Now, here's where I want to preach to you for a little while. And all the other things that I said was leading up to this. To be really persuaded in your own mind. It took some th going through in Job's life for him to be able to come to the place where he was able to say, while he's hurting, Boils all over his body. The loss of everything. His children, money and finances and animals. And standing in society. And tell his accusers who was trying to cancel him out. He was so persuaded. <laughs> he was so persuaded. When they were trying to say, well, you're no good. And that's why God's doing this to you. Uh, well, you failed God so bad. This is, you're making, he's making a fool out of you. God is judging you. He said, listen, boys, I just want to tell you, I am so persuaded in living for Jesus. God in that day, Jesus in our day. I'm so persuaded that if he even slays me, boy, it gets quiet when you get to talking like this. I don't know what you've gone through in the last little while. I don't know what you've faced in life, the rejections of life, and all that life has afforded, and, 
and, and you look at yourself and say, woe is me, and look where I am, and why can't I, and how come I, and all the excuses of who you are and why you are and where you are. When you get to the place where you're so convinced in living for Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes nor goes. I made up my mind, even if God slays me, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to live for him. No matter what life comes my way, I'm standing, I'm persuaded. Nothing is going to take me away from God. So Paul stood before Agrippa, gave his testimony, and it was a moving testimony. He gave his life's history and what he went through and what he was being accused for. And he became so wrapped up in it King Agrippa looked at him and said, Almost, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He could not take that cancel culture any longer. I'm, I'm just about there. But he turned away and said, I want to think about it. So I want to preach to you today. You've come to a very point of decision in your life where you're making decisions on what's right and what's wrong, what I should do and what I shouldn't do and where I should go and where I shouldn't go and all the decisions that you come in life and you face, uh, you have to come to the place where you make up your mind. I am persuaded that living for God is the most important thing in my life and I'm going to live for Jesus with everything that's in me. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to live for God with everything. King Agrippa said, almost, almost. I got so close, almost. I wonder where you are today. You're coming to a place of decision and living for God. And, and you, you're weighing the different costs. And what are this and what about that and here, there. And, and somewhere you've got to come to grips with it all and say, you know what? I'm not almost persuaded. I am totally persuaded. The power of persuasion. You know what this church ought to do? This church ought to have a confirmation of the word of God so strong that somebody on the brink of persuading makes up their mind, I'm going to live for God because of what I feel in this congregation. This is not just a student-pupil relationship. This is something that has a reciprocating what I've committed to him. He's committed to me. So I don't feel good today. I don't feel like lifting my hands, but I'm going to commit that to God. I don't feel like going to the house of God today, but I'm going to commit that to God. And the Bible said he's going to commit that back to you, and you need to keep it in the Holy Ghost. I want to ask you today, has God ever given you something back when you lifted your hands to worship him? Has he ever responded to you when you responded to him? Has he ever given you something worth living for? Has he ever caused you to want to lift your hands and stand in the presence of God and say, God, I'm giving you something and you're giving me something back. Oh, hallelujah. You know, something's happening in this place right now. There's something happening. There's a reciprocal there's a, there's a reciprocal thing going on. I'm committing something to him, and he's committing something back to me. And I want you to stand today with me in the final moments of this service. 
If you have a need in your body, this altar is open. We're going to pray for your need in your body. Our elders are standing ready to anoint you with oil. And I'm telling you, when you commit something to God, he commits something back to you. And if you want to come for some other need in this service today, maybe maybe you are making a commitment today in your mind, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. And you're making that commitment to God. This altar is open to you. Ministry, if you'd take the oil and these that have come for prayer today. This time in the service on Sunday morning is given especially to those that have needs today. If you want God to do something for you, why don't you do something for God? He doesn't ask of your money. He doesn't ask of your car. He doesn't ask of your home. He asks of your hands uplifted and your voices opened to worship him and to love him. Oh, hallelujah. It's reciprocal. It is circular. What goes up comes down. Hallelujah. When the praises go up and the worship goes up, something comes down. What do you have need of in your mind today? What do you have need of in your life today? It's reciprocal, church. It's reciprocal. What I've committed to God, he commits back to me. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. There's several in this congregation today that you're talking to. Tell them about the love of God. Tell them what God can do. This service is designed today. This service is designed today to reach those that need something from God today. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. That's right. Open yourself to the Lord. Come on, church, for a few minutes. It's 15 after 11. Got plenty of time till I'm supposed to quit. Let's touch the throne of grace right now. Let's reach God right now. There are needs in this altar that only can be met by a touch of God. There's needs in this altar that can only be fulfilled by a touch of God today. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. More than anything, more than anything, I love you, Jesus.
Praise God. Somebody step out of the pew where you are. Walk up here and pray with the people that have gathered together in this place. Let's agree together. God has touched. His anointing is in this house. Hallelujah. Come on, move out of the pew where you are. Step up beside somebody. Let's pray together. At the conclusion of this service, Lord, we want your anointing, the power of God to be felt. Hallelujah. Elders in the house of God today, receiving a refreshing and a renewing in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. We thank you, Lamb of God, for your spirit that is poured out upon all flesh. And we know that today in the house of God is no different. You're pouring out your ability. You're pouring out your anointing. We agree together. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, lift up your voice. Let's spend a few moments of time in prayer and seek God today. I thank you, Lord, and praise you.